when Labor Day Sunday rolls around and I finish up and the service is over and I think, I'll be in church next week. And that's good. I just miss seeing you guys. And some of you pop in at the campground in, in the summer, and I certainly appreciate that. And, but Sharon and I have, uh, have not been here since uh, the week before Memorial Day, which is back in May, if you can remember back that far. And, uh, and we're glad to be back here today. Uh, this summer at, at the campground, I, I preached a series of messages on the one another's that we find in the scriptures. Uh, We covered be at peace with one another, greet one another, honor one another, be humble before one another, accept one another, carry each other's burdens, forgive one another, live in harmony with one another, teach one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, serve one another, agree with one another, and last week, love one another. Now, those were the topics. If there wasn't something in there in the summer that didn't apply to you, or that didn't apply to you, if you came every week, you're a better man than me. <laughs> because I'll tell you that God's word is full of such exhortations, prodding us along to deal with one another, one another. I deliberately saved the uh, love one another one for the last one because that particular subject, I believe, is a summary of all of the rest of them. It's a summary of everything else. And it's really a summary of Jesus' teachings too, isn't it? In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Jesus responds to a question posed to him by the Pharisees. Now the question was put to Jesus as a test. Because the Pharisees were trying to determine, well, perhaps if Jesus was the long-awaited the Messiah. I mean, they didn't know. Here's the conversation as it's recorded in Matthew. Chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? profound question jesus replied love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment but jesus didn't stop there he went on and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, while Jesus didn't specifically say in his answer, love one another, it's certainly implied there, isn't it? And in his letter to the Romans, Paul writes this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law you see we look we look at the law and we say well i'm not jewish i don't really have to deal with that but you know god gave those commandments for a couple of reasons one was to separate the jewish people from the other people if 
by following these directives, he was, he was making it apparent to everybody else that the Jews were, in fact, his chosen people, a promise he gave to Abraham. And the other reason was that by doing the things that God asked them to do, they honored him and were able to revere him. And some of the stuff was really practical stuff, like the idea of washing your hands. You know, how many of you saw and still see the washing your hands posters that got put up everywhere because of COVID? I mean, they're all over the place. Well, the Jewish people were the only ones, really, that were washing their hands. Guess who wasn't getting sick? It's practical. It was practical, and it was basic. But this answer that Jesus gave spawns as a question, how do we do this loving God? How do we do this loving others? And maybe you've asked that question. I know I have. And, and I wonder, how am I doing at that? How am I doing? Is there some way for me to tell how I'm doing or, or, or not? I, I know that I feel love for God, and sometimes I feel love for God way more than other times. You've been there. We're, maybe you're worshiping and singing something, and it just it gets you right here, and, and your eyes get wet. <laughs> because there's something about what you're singing and to whom you're singing that just stirs your heart uh, in a way that you haven't experienced in a while. That's a strong, powerful, and legitimate feeling. And after all, isn't love a feeling? Well, of course it is. But, but love itself is so much bigger than just the feeling. I mean, if we went around just doing what we felt like doing, just imagine your life for just a minute. Take a second and say, okay, I'm going to live for the next five seconds imagining what I would do if I, just, if I lived like I felt. Whew. We had a conversation yesterday with our, uh, with our third son. And he was talking about something, and in the course of things, he says, it's not like I wouldn't want to go out and get a shovel and smack them in the face with it. Okay? Now, I would say that that is a feelings-generated response. <coughs> Fortunately, he didn't do that. And I don't know about whom he was speaking when he said it. But love is, it's bigger than feelings. It, it's a, sometimes love is a motivation to action. And that means that we can show love by doing something. By doing something. Now, let me see if I can make that a little clearer. Hang on and get your old commercial Rolodex out, okay? From, you, you remember the days when you watched network TV? <laughs> And it wasn't all streaming stuff. There were commercials, right? Okay, finish these off. Some of you are going to be able to do this. Some of you are going to say, I have no idea what he's talking about. Okay, ready? <clears throat> this is audience participation. You can take Salem out of the country, but you can't take the country out of Salem. No one sang it back to me. 
okay? It goes like this. You can take Salem out of the country, but you can't take the country out of Salem. How many remember that? See, there's like three hands. Okay, how about this one? You deserve a break today, so get up and get away. Ah, there we go. How about this one? Double your pleasure, double your fun. Double mint, double mint, double mint gum. Why do we still remember that stuff? I mean, there hasn't been cigarette commercials on, on public television for years. But we remember the Salem commercial jingle. Okay? And even though there's been new commercial jingles for McDonald's, we still remember that one. And when was the last time you've even seen a pack of double mint gum? I mean, I don't, I don't chew gum, so I don't know if they even have it out there. Maybe, do they? Okay, gum chewers of America, unite. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there was a commercial for Campbell's Soup that was set to the tune of a song that Frank Sinatra recorded called Love and Marriage. Do any of you remember that? Okay, if you don't remember it, here's how it goes. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. This I'll tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage, love and marriage, it's an institute you can't disparage. Ask the local gentry, and they will say it's Ella. Mentry, try, try, try to separate them. It's an illusion. Try, 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 and you will only come to this conclusion. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Dad was told by mother, you can't have one, you can't have none, you can't have one without the other. Okay, now, thank you. No applause necessary. Now, the Campbell's commercial modification of that song was what? Soup and sandwich, soup and sandwich. And it went on to say how that was inseparable. We remember that stuff. And I'm going to tell you this. The lyrics Sammy Kahn wrote make a strong connection in the song that Sinatra did between the word love and the word marriage. Now, that was written in 1955, and it reflected the normal relationship between those words at that time. Of course, in today's world, that relationship is not as clear-cut, and the words of that psalm seem anachronistic and untrue because our culture has embraced so many different relationship scenarios that we have lost our understanding of that relationship and its beauty, power, and importance. But I mentioned that song not to get off into the subject of marriage, but to highlight that sometimes concepts are better understood by making such a connection, associating something with something else. And that's what Campbell's did. When they came up with the slogan, Soup and Sandwich, they used a familiar phrase from a familiar song 
to make a connection between eating soup and having a sandwich. Now, how many of you have had a bowl of or a cup of soup in a sandwich? Look at us. We, we're right in there, okay? I guarantee that there's a good chance, if that commercial was part of your life, that you might be playing that jingle in your head when you sat down to that kind of a meal. And I want to suggest that there is such an association t today that not only helps us understand what it means to love one another, but can even give us insight into the application of how we go about that. And that, I want to further suggest that loving God and loving others can be understood and explained by making, an, making this association, even as that commercial did. And I offer this phrase. Loving is serving. Say that. Now, the scriptures give us some clear guidelines as to how this might look. And in those guidelines, we're reminded of the purpose of our lives. Here's Ephesians chapter 2, 10. For we, that means all of you and myself, are God's handiwork. I couldn't find it on the page. <laughs> God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, the good works that God prepared for us in advance to do are important. And it doesn't say the good feelings that, we'll ha have, that we will have from knowing God. It doesn't say good feelings. It says good works. That means that we have things to do. I am not saying that anything that we can do helps to earn our salvation in any way. Nor can doing good things endear us to God more. His love and acceptance of us is unconditional. It's unconditional. But by doing what he wants in loving and serving others, we open our hearts to his power more and we move along on the path to sanctification. Sanctification is that inexorable process. It begins when you come to Christ and it lasts as long as you are drawing breath. And it's the process by which we are being transformed. Not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of our minds to become more and more like Jesus himself. And we are not just about doing things and doing them alone. In Hebrews, we find this passage. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. When you think of a spur, what do you think of? A horse, a cowboy. What do you use a spur for? Is it just bling for your boots? No, it has a function. 
What is that function? You whack the horse with the spur and it goes. Right? You do something and it moves. That's what Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is saying. We, how we might spur one another on. Spur one another on. And unlike riding a horse where you have a destination in mind and you kick the horse and away you go, what is our destination? What does it say here? Spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. Doesn't it seem like those two things are connected? That you can't have one without the other? That's what it seems like to me. So how do we do that? When I was teaching, I had the opportunity to, to observe lots of other teachers. We would, our, I would take students to choral festivals and they would bring in a, a college teacher or someone else that was pretty well known and pretty good at what they did. And I would, I would sit, sit there and watch these folks and w- watch them work with the choir and, and I would learn stuff and I would take notes. And they were more experienced than I was. I paid attention. I, I added those tools to my arsenal of tricks to get my students to grow in their understanding and their proficiency. One of those people was John Jacobson. John Jacobson was the guru of show choirs. A show choir was something that was very popular in the Midwest, and it's kind of seeped over here toward the east. And it, it is a choir that sings and dances, of all things. Singing and dancing. And John Jacobson was, uh, he did a workshop, and he was like teaching us a dance and stuff like that. And of course, there are lots of people with two left feet and stuff like that, but folks were trying their best. I was one of them, trying my best. And he said, you know what? One of the most important things you can tell your kids is make a commitment to the movement, even if you can't do it. He said, and tell them to smile. Tell them to smile. Even if you don't feel like it. He said, I can remember one time being back in the back row. I was supposed to be a soldier and I was standing there and I was supposed to smile. I didn't feel like smiling at all said, but that was what we were supposed to do. So I pasted the smile on my face and there I stood. And he said, you know what happened? After a while, the, the music got on and it, w- it became connected to my heart and it became connected to my will. And all of a sudden, I wasn't pasting the smile on anymore. It was re- I was really smiling. I was really smiling. And it changed the way I participated in the that uh, in that song and it changed my level of involvement when we serve others we're spurring each other on because other people will get caught up in the spirit of such expressions of love and be motivated to engage in similar activities serving is contagious it's contagious I had a friend Jim Knight that um, that bought a a manufactured house and they, they came and set it up and all that and it was up to Jim to have the garage built. And so, of course, he called me. What do I know about building garages? You want to hear it again? <laughs> but I knew how boards connected and and I, I made a commitment to help him because he was my friend and I went down there and, and they had... 
somebody had already helped get the walls up and here we were putting the trusses up and there I was sitting up on top of the wall and just nailing things in place and having a good old time. Well, that's just the beginning part. Then you got to put sheeting on the roof and other stuff and connect this and that. And I just, this is a big job. So I just started calling people. Said, hey, how about coming down and helping out? You know, can you do this? And some days we'd have like eight, ten guys down there crawling around a thing like like ants. If we'd had hats and beards, you'd have thought we were Amish. <laughs> but one of those days, one of those days, John Smith came. And we were up there together, he and I, and we're trying to measure like the piece of connecting things because the roof kind of connected up. And John said to me, he said, this is what we should be doing. This is how we help one another. This is how we make a brotherhood. I never forgot those words. I never forgot those words. When we serve others, we spur each other on because they will get caught up in it. And that spirit uh, and those expressions of love will motivate them to serve. Serving is contagious. The association of the word love with the word serving brings that answer to the question, how do we do this? How do we love God? How do we love others? And it brings it into sharp focus. And it informs our behavior as we seek to live out that truth. You see, love is an action verb. It's not just a noun. It's an action verb. It can take on many forms. It can be feeling. But the word serving gives us a lens for seeing the meaning of the word loving and brings the action of love into focus and understanding for us. Loving is serving. When we do something nice for someone, we're serving them. Last night when we were walking into the, into the show, um, our former superintendent came. And he had a, a friend with him. And I hadn't seen him to talk to him for months. And he had been Friday night as a veteran down on the track at the Keystone football game where we honored first responders and veterans. And I said to him, boy, I said it was good to see you last night. And we chatted a little bit. And when I got to the ticket booth, it was $5 a person. I took a $20 bill out of my wallet and I said to the girl, give me four tickets. And she gave me four tickets and I was going to give them. I turned around he handed me a $10 bill. And I said, no. And he said, nope. Well, he was my boss. I'm taking the $10 bill. <laughs> but then he said, but thanks for thinking of it. Thanks for thinking of it. Did, did that response mean that, oh, shucks, I couldn't buy him tickets? No, it said to me that he appreciated that I wanted to serve him in a way that he did not need me to serve him. Because trust me, as superintendent, he made a few dollars more than most people. So he could afford the $10. I should have let him go first. <laughs> when we do something nice for someone, we're serving them. When we help out someone, we're serving them. When we spend time with someone, we're serving them. 
Sharon said something this morning after Kingdom Builders class that I had not heard from her that was a little bit convicting, but not as much convicting as it would have been earlier. She said that she, uh, uh, someone asked uh, kids, what would you like to be? What would you like to be? And one, one young man said, I'd like to be a cell phone. Because my dad is always looking at his cell phone. There was a season I was guilty. Guilty of that. It didn't matter what I was doing. I mean, I was reading. I remember when I, it was, and it wasn't a cell phone, it was an iPod, if you can go back that far. And I found out you could download books on them and read. And I was reading The Count of Monte Cristo. It was only 5,600 pages <laughs> on the iPod. And I was caught up in the story, and I read that story, and my children just faded into the background. I was guilty. I want to be a cell phone because my dad is always looking at his cell phone. that make you squirm a little bit at all if it did think about think about it spending time with someone is serving because for many people you spell the word love with the letters t-i-m-e when you call somebody to catch up with them you're serving them when you see someone say, hey, how you doing? And you actually listen to their answer? That's serving them. That's serving them. Loving is serving. There's some other things that the scriptures say. Galatians chapter 5, 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's one of the things in our church statement, isn't it? Proclaiming his offer, Jesus Christ's offer of freedom, healing, and life. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Paul makes that connection between loving and serving obvious. It's, it's serving one another humbly in love. Our service to one another needs to happen in an attitude of humility. We have to set aside our desire for accolades or lauding and serve because the person we're serving in that moment is more important than what it will cost us in time or resources or attention. They're more important for that time for that season, for that moment, for that segment. If we're doing that so that we get thanked, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. If we're doing it because we say, hey, people will see what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a servant. That's the wrong reasons. That is the wrong reasons. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't thank folks. Nobody doesn't like to be thanked. 
But that can't be the reason to do stuff. Are your motives ever wrong? Only God really knows what we're thinking. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that what we're doing is honorable service to someone else for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. And it feels good to be noticed and be thanked, especially if you're thanked publicly. That's really good. We've got to guard that. And we can't delude ourselves to thinking it won't happen to us. Because the scripture says, the heart is wicked. Who can understand it? And just when you think you're, you're, you're doing it right, boy, I'll tell you, that's a, there's a crack there that the enemy will pour in whatever magic elixir that makes your pride build up. And that's dangerous. How can you avoid that? Well, you get a different heart. You get a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion that motivates us toward taking action and serving as we're loving. And we begin that by asking God. We begin that by asking God to soften our hearts toward one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. To do what? To love each other. Who is our teacher? Who's our teacher? God is our teacher. God's desire is to be at work in your life and in my life, taking our heart, not the beating, pumping, blood-shoving thing, but to take the innermost part of us that is the essence of who we really are and to, to make it malleable, to make it soft, to make us pay attention to one another, to make us care about one another, to drive us to action toward serving one another. You can't do that from a hard heart. You can't. Your heart has to be soft. It has to be that way. And when it's soft, then you are listening to Him. And as He whispers in your ear, you will get up off the couch. You will get up and start doing things. You will look for ways to, to, to find a way to build into each other's lives. It's the Holy Spirit in you that will change the way you see things. It changes the way we see people. changes the way we see each other. He begins that work. He begins it. It doesn't come from us. The only thing that comes from us is the desire for that to happen. God, change my heart. Isn't there a song about that, right? Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. Make me more like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. That's our desire. That's our part in it. Being willing. But it's Him that's going to do the change. His work to soften our hearts. It's up to him, us to desire it. And as our, we find our perspective beginning to change, 
toward thinking of others more kindly and loving, we are naturally drawn to serving. If you never think about serving, if you never think about serving, ask yourself why. And do not believe for one minute the lie that you're just not that kind of person. I'm just, I'm just not that, I'm just not a people person. Satan will whisper that in your ear to allow you to stay in the automatic pilot setting of self-centeredness that we all default to. That we all default to. There isn't a person in this room or outside of this room that isn't naturally self-centered. And unless something changes in here, that's the perspective that we will see others through. That's the lens. That's the path that we'll go down. What was the big, the big uh, deal back like in, this, in the 70s? Take care of what? Or who? Take care of number, which was you. Take care of number one. I'm looking out for number one. That's not what we're made for. If we are, the number one we need to be looking out for is that number one. But either way, it's not us. The whole problem with that is, every time we come by a mirror, who's looking back at us? We are. Every time we're listening in our inside voices, who's talking to us? We are. We talk to ourselves, we look at ourselves, we take ourselves everywhere we go. We are all about us. And when you're all about you, you're not about others. You're not about others. So, God gets in there, He softens our heart, we want Him to do that. Then, we spend some time and energy getting to know one another. As a church family, getting to know one another. As we learn about each other, we establish a bond. Some bonds are stronger than others. Some bonds aren't. Some bonds are just acquaintance bonds. That's fine. It's still a bond. The people we see on Sunday here in this room make up the family of God at OCCA. We have an obligation to know who each other is. And if we always sit on this side and they're always on this side, the only we don't know who they are. So we're really surprised when we go in the post office and their picture's up. <laughs> I'm just teasing there. We need to know who each other are. We need to know where we live. We need to know what things we like, what our, where our strengths are, what our interests are, what God has brought them through. We need to know each other's stories. Why? Because we're nosy? No, because if I know your story, it changes the way I see you. It changes what I understand about you. And it makes it easier for my heart to reach out to your heart 
and for me to interact in your life in a way that matters. That's serving. But I can't do that if I don't know who you are. I'm not a mind reader, and neither are you. As a result of that kind of investment, though, we position ourselves to act and to pour God's love into the lives of each other. And we become friends within our church family. In the three-by-three groups that we signed up for, we're going to be building relationships by getting to know one another. Sharon and I made our first three-by-three plan right after Kingdom Builders. Now, and we have to change it. Because we were going to get together on the 26th to, you know, have food. And that's the church, back to church picnic day. And there's a sign-up sheet going around. I hope every one of you put your name on it. And I hope you plan to be there. It matters. We've got to spend time with each other a little bit. The three-by-threes provide a platform for us that allows us to begin to serve each other in the church and to join forces with each other to serve others outside the church. Who do you think I called to help with Jim Knight's garage? I didn't just pick the phone book up and do that. I called people I knew. I called guys that I knew would be willing to help or I thought would be willing to help. I called people that knew Jim and were still willing to help. And if you watch this, Jim, you know that I mean that. <laughs> oh, my. Jim Knight is a testimony to the power of God. He was a hard-hearted, crass, tough bird, I'll tell you. And when it came to meanness, nobody could beat him at it. But God has taken that man and broken him and rebuilt him at the cost of at the cost that some of us would not be willing to pay. So I need to say that publicly too, because I love him. And I love what God's doing in his life. And when we're friends and we go to help others outside the church, the more we do that, the more his love will grow in us. And the more our faith will grow. And the more impact we'll make be toward, toward bringing others into the freedom and healing and life that God offers. Because the more something happens that you like, the more that you're involved in something that you see results in, the more you want to do it. The more you want to do it. It's like Dave Ramsey and the debt snowball, right? Dave Ramsey says you take all your debts, you write them down. You get the put the smallest one on top of the on top of the list and you do whatever you can to put as much money toward paying that debt off as you can and as soon as it's paid off all the money that was going there goes down to the next debt and you're paying ahead and you're paying ahead and what happens what happens with a snowball when you're rolling it especially if you're rolling it downhill it gets momentum it builds up energy it gets bigger it gets harder to ignore. It gets more impactive. That's what happens to us. When we do something for the kingdom that, that resonates with us, that we see a result in, doesn't it motivate us to do more? Doesn't it motivate us to do more? Yes, it motivates us to do more. 
We live our lives in this American culture waiting for retirement. Oh, I can't wait to retire. And we have in our mind like warm places, hammocks, and all that good stuff. That word retirement, that's not in the scripture anywhere. Because God knows that if we will get motivated to do, look at the people of the faith. When did Abraham retire? When did Noah retire? When did David retire? Nobody retired. They just kept on. They kept on. What kept them on? Were they being handed a list of to-do things from their spouse? If they were, some of them had trouble because they had a lot of spouses. <laughs> no, they kept at it because they saw their life as a life that was in service to God. And they kept pressing on toward the promise. And Hebrews 11 says one thing about all of them. None of them received what was promised because it was out there somewhere, but that didn't stop them from moving toward it. The kingdom of God is not static. It is not staying still. It's dynamic. It's moving forward. And we're the ones that have to move it. And we have to move it by dealing with each other, loving each other, serving each other. And until we do that with us, we are not in position to do it for others. Or at least not as effectively as we would do it with others. Many hands make light work. That's in there somewhere, isn't it? Sounds like Proverbs to me. I don't know. I didn't look it up. But I look back at instances. I look back at putting a deck on at, at, at Justin's house. I look back at putting a roof on at Eric and Vicky's place on their garage and pu putting a deck there. I look back at those kinds of things. I look back at, at funeral dinners here where people are bringing food to serve a family that's lost someone. That's all the stuff that's important. And guess what? We are not doing the job we could be doing. You know why? Because the people over here don't know the people over here or over here. And when someone says to me, oh, did you, did you see so-and-so? I don't know who so-and-so even is. And if all I do is see them on Sunday morning, I'm not going to unless I make an effort to. Unless I walk across the church or unless I hang out in that room there or in the hallway afterwards so I can see somebody else. I mean, I'm seeing people today that I haven't seen in months. My heart is so full because of that. And I will leave today and I will say, gosh, I wish I could have gotten a hold of them. But there's only so much time. So you do it the best you can. You can't let it be an excuse not to. Here's, how, here's what else it says. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to thank you, thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Is our love increasing? Look around. Look around this room. Are there people that you don't know? How are you going to get to know them? Can any of us be definitive if we say anything about anyone else without knowing them? We do that. 
We have impressions. We make impressions about people all the time. And we think that those things are fact. They're not. Can we be the church that demonstrates the love of God toward one another if we don't know each other? Or maybe we do know each other and maybe there's wounds because of something that happened. Are we prepared to offer the forgiveness to each other that God has lavished upon us? Or are we going to live with resentment and bitterness because someone said something or did something or didn't say something or didn't do something that affected us? Are we too proud to pick up the phone and have a short conversation to check on someone else? Will we send a text or a card or will we talk to them? 1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Could we use a little more love today? Could our world use a little more? Would our world be at all better if we were better lovers, better servers? Instead of spending so much energy on being right, I'm right. If I'm right, what does that make you if we don't agree? It makes you wrong. It makes you wrong. Are we so blinded by the need to be right or the need to be better or smarter or richer that we cannot see that we're contributing to the angst that colors our world. We're the ones who are robbing the experience of life of all of its color and vibrancy and settling for dull shades instead of bright colors that make our hearts soar because we are not naturally given to serving and so we do not serve. When the question came up to Jesus about who would sit next to him in heaven, do you remember what he said? You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life. How are we giving our life? Men, what does it tell us about loving our wives? In Ephesians, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Are we giving ourselves to our wives? Are we giving ourselves to our children? Loving is serving. Loving is serving. John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Listen to what he writes. And I, I'm just going to invite you to, to read part of these things together with me. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Loving is serving. Dear friends, let us, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought, we also ought to. No one has seen, has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Let's take some time right now and bow our heads and our hearts and ask God to give us the hearts of flesh that he can mold so that we can better serve. To make us want to demonstrate his love to others. Let's ask him. How can we do better in our homes? How can we serve each other in our church family better? How can we do better in our workplace? How can we do better other to serve the other broken people of this world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Let's pray. God, you're giving us a call to action. And we confess that we have been, some of us, too long in our comfortable pews. Give us the courage and the determination to intentionally step out towards someone else in this room this week to see how they're doing to offer help, to visit with them, to do something nice for them, to begin to serve in small ways so that the momentum of serving can overtake us one by one until it overtakes our church, until the serving reaches from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. But we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.